welcome in to another episode, including from my loyal producer, Merle. Welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who is single but otherwise spoken for. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? I don't even know what that one means. Is that going to get me in trouble? Well, you know, technically speaking, you just filed your taxes, I'm sure. All and right, technically, right. technically speaking, right. you did file single. So that that's that's all <laughs> that's all that means. And as a as a wise teacher once told me, ain't no ring on your finger, you are single. So but you are otherwise spoken for. So uh that, that that's all that means. We don't have to overthink it, especially considering amongst the players that you cover, you are definitely way more single than the majority of these guys that you're talking to on a daily basis. <laughs> uh, this is the truth. We are live from sunny Lakeland, Florida, battling through some uh, Lakeland allergies. So bear with me here. But week two of spring training, we are now into games moving right along. So I, I guess the first thing that's on my mind, Cody, is... Were we sold a bunch of lies in the sense that, oh, this is going to be a pitching team, you know, blah, blah, defense. And then you score 10 runs in the first game and nine runs in the second. And your pitching staff does not hold runs off the board. So is this actually an offensive team? People are asking. <laughs> well, I think we saw like one maybe two pitchers who are actually going to be on the major league <laughs> roster so i wouldn't get too concerned about that we saw not a lot of hitters that are going to be on the major league ro- roster either uh interesting to see the ball flying though this is always the time of year we're like well pitchers are ahead of hitters but the runs have come in bunches the pitching has not been pretty that spring training opener woof three hours yes. and 50 minutes 23 walks nine hit batters I said it was top three worst in five plus years on this job. The man himself, Dan Dickerson, called it the worst in 25 <laughs> years. He's got set through the 03 Tigers, but at number one. So that's how miserable that was. AJ Hinch came over to talk to the media right after his first words out of his mouth. What year is it? So uh, you wait all winter for baseball, and then the, uh, the the first game action you get is quite the dud. A little bit better baseball on uh, game two against the Rays in Port Charlotte. Ends in a beautiful spring training tie. My takeaway from all this is a very potent reminder that spring training just doesn't matter all that much. There's some things we can learn from it, some things that are interesting to talk about, but the results, uh, they don't matter. Even the guys who are doing well can often be fool's gold. So a couple things. Number one... Uh, you sat through a long game, obviously, on Saturday. My wife and I went to Globe Life Field to see our uh, alma mater, Oklahoma State, play Arkansas. They're having a little showcase there. And that game went 14 innings. Started at 7, went 14 innings, ended with an Oklahoma State victory. Arkansas is number two in the country. It's a great Here we win. Go. Uh, with a suicide squeeze. The not very much used suicide squeeze most of the time it's a safety this was a suicide and a very exciting game but yeah that was a uh, a long one as well for us and uh and then today i'm you know watching the game listening to dan and it ends you know with with the nine nine and uh my wife is like so they like go to extras in spring training <laughs> And I, and, I, and I laugh. I'm not, I wasn't, like, laughing at her, but, like, my immediate mind went to somebody like AJ being like, oh, my God. I, you know, it just, like, kind of teeth clenched, like, that the fact that, like, A, the game was tied at the end, and then, B, like, the thought of, like, having to go to extras in a spring training game. You know what I mean? Like, that, 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 that made me laugh. And then, also, speaking of Dan, uh, kind of serious kind of not serious when Aaron Boone makes a pitching change there with like two outs in the ninth like oh come on guys so yeah not the uh most hunky-dory of, of of weekends to start spring training of course that uh baseball follies level of uh inside the park home run oh my uh, don't get me started <laughs> on that <laughs> it was it, it it was something else but the main news of the week is not having to do, and we'll talk about a couple of things that happened in, in these two games, but the main news of the week. No, let's talk about that play. 
Okay, uh, that, that was scored. If you guys haven't seen it, go go look at a highlight. You can go on my Twitter. That was scored a home run. A bloop ball that falls between four fielders, kicks off a guy's foot, goes into right field, scored a home run. I I guess no one really made an I think a ball that obviously should be caught and falls should be an error. I get that's not in the rule book. I'm like, how would I score this? I don't know. I'm like, it, it hit off the second baseman's foot. He wasn't trying to make a play. It was kind of a weird accident. But I think that's that's got to be an error, man. I, I you know. I mean, I would consider four people in the vicinity of a pop fly under the definition of ordinary effort, right? And, yeah. I mean, I'm not, we're going to have to harp on it too much, but I was just like, it. Sometimes inside the park home runs have some level of satisfaction or flukiness, and I guess kicking it is a little fluky, but not when it travels... 130 feet or you know whatever it was you know that like if we were tracking that could that have been the shallowest inside the park home run in mlb history it's like that i mean it's up there it's got to be up there it's got to be up there (laughs) and i could only imagine what aj's reaction was to that uh that and plus a couple other funny thoughts i had during spring training especially when uh jay hang got thrown out at home i thought are you? Is it sort of like good gamesmanship to just like send runners every time so that, you know, like the other team can work on the relays. You can kind of judge like, you know, whether guys can, you know, score from, you know, get the extra base in that situation. Uh, two games in, I just feel like we were at peak spring training. I don't know if we get to say that every year, but we were at peak spring training two <laughs> There's games There's no in. doubt about this. But... The, the biggest news of the week, Cody, was the Tigers, finally, prayers were answered amongst the fans. They signed a third baseman. They signed a third baseman. A veteran Gio third Ur- baseman. <laughs> a veteran third baseman. Gio Urshela, one year, one and a half million dollars with some incentives that, you know, he may or may not get. But more or less, one year, one and a half million dollars, as I put on X. The king of the one-year deal strikes again. Uh, strikes again. Scott Harris just can't help himself, man. He just can't help himself. He loves one-year deals, and I'll tell you, like my initial reaction is like, "Oh, this is a nice little move. That's my nice little move. Nice little solid move. Get a professional in there. Guy with some track record. Guy who's, you know, good at several aspects of being a baseball player. Not great at any of them. That's why you sign one for one and a half." And then I got an X, and I was like, ooh, this might be the most, in terms of signings in recent Tigers history, this might be the most reactions per dollar (laughs) that I've seen a a, a Tigers player get because there was a lot of disappointment. Kind of related to Geo, not directly related, but kind of related. Like, you had people... Like, the Lipschitz camp, like, came out strong. The Kreidler camp <laughs> came out strong. And I have nothing against these guys. Like, over, like uh, in terms of their stature in the organization, like, I like them. I see their skill set. I see, like, what they could bring to the table. Like, uh, this is not me talking ill on them. However, I just don't view them as guys that are reasons to not make a move. Is, like, the way I would phrase it. Like... If they would have signed a second baseman this offseason, I would have viewed Colt Keith as a reason to not make a move. And that, you know, played itself out with the contract and all this stuff. But their third base options were, you know, respectfully speaking, some guys. There's some dudes there. Some skill sets that you can utilize, some uh, versatility that you like. But nobody that's beyond reproach. And then even when it comes to the guys who will be at the bottom of the uh, of the roster, roster bubble, whatever you want to call it, nobody beyond reproach. You're not taking away anything grand, in my opinion. So I had no qualms with the Geo signing. I don't think this is going to—it's not a signing that was designed to put the team over the top. It's not going to. But I thought it was fine. I thought it was a nice, solid signing, and I was shocked by the amount of pushback that something like this uh, garnered on social media because I just thought that it was still an improvement of your overall 
talent and, and, and roster for little cost and literally no long-term liability. So your reaction to the geo, geo signing and, uh, and how he kind of fits into uh, to the team. Well, I think it makes the team better. So I like the move. I think you feel a lot better about the 13 guys who are going to be on your roster with Gio Urshela theoretically pushing like a Matt Veerling to a more versatile bench role. Um, so the last guys off your bench, probably a Banyas McKinstry, whereas otherwise the last guys off your bench, probably looking at more of a Kreidler. Kreidler does a lot of good things defensively, but the bad is a huge question mark. So I think your team is better with Gio Urshela on it. You get him one year, really cheap. And there's a little bit of, I hate to use that upside word, but there's some upside here. Um, he has been a good hitter for most of his career. He was injured last year, but just two years ago, he was a two-win player. Uh, very good bat-to-ball skills, crushes lefties, 290 career hitter against lefties. Uh, I, I think he was up in the, the 300s, high 300s against lefties in a short sample last year. Um, so he's going to fit that platoon. I think you can plug him in at third base against lefties, maybe even against righties, his numbers better than what Zach McKinstry, your lefty bat, did against righties last year and, and somewhat comparable to Matt Vierling. The defensive metrics are a whole other conversation. Uh, defensive runs saved, loves him. He's had gold glove votes before. Outs above average, hates him. So that gets a little bit in the weeds. Outs above average, very ranged-based. Defensive runs saved, a little bit more all-encompassing. So maybe he's not the greatest defensive third baseman of all time, but he's pretty good. Um, and so this may not be Matt Chapman. I get it. But I think it's a nice, small, shrewd pickup from Scott Harris um, that, that complements the roster, that fits a lot of things they're trying to do. Almost to the point where I was like, oh, why did I not think of this? Why was this not on my radar? Gio Urshela makes a lot of sense for the Tigers. No, oh, he does. And... If you watch AJ talk about him, you watch Scott talk about him, there's a level of conviction there that I think is is worth noting in terms of what he can do. And I know you just mentioned it, but I want to kind of emphasize this is not a against lefty signing. This is a guy that you could it in a, there's a, you could play him every day and it's not going to be a detriment to your team, right? Like, you could play him every day, and you might not have some great upside or whatever at third base, but it's not a detriment to your team to play him every day. Guess what? They're set up. He doesn't have to play every day. And, again, it raises the the, the floor of the team a little bit, which, as we've talked about, as is kind of becoming a little bit of a bigger talking point amongst uh, Tiger folks, is kind of the Scott Harris M.O. at this point. Like he, he, you know, the small baseball move stacking is kind of about raising floors that we haven't seen, nor do I think a lot of it's merit, like the raise the ceiling move. And that's okay. Right now, that's okay. But the, the geo signing also to me, Cody, we talk about it and it's one of those things that I don't necessarily want to like admit wholeheartedly, but at a certain point, you got to kind of recognize reality. We're seeing more and more that rosters are basically set, more or less, coming into spring training. And I know there's there's going to be some battles for the you know, last couple of bullpen spots. But we felt coming into this spring training that there wasn't that much wiggle room with the with the bench players. And now there's even less. And, and the fact that they made this move at the time that they did tells me that they had a pretty good idea that We'll just throw out the names: the Kreidlers, the Lipschitzes, the 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 Justin Henry Malloys weren't necessarily ready right now for what they wanted to, in order to like move this baseball team forward. That doesn't mean they won't ever be. That doesn't mean these guys aren't going to have their time in the major leagues. They will. We all know this. Akil Badu falls in that category as well. You don't have to worry about it. They are going to be wearing the old English D. But this kind of tells me that they had an idea that they needed to upgrade the infield. And I'll, I'll say infield, not just third base. They needed, to, they wanted to upgrade the infield. They didn't want to lose any, here's the word, optionality involved. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, and they did it at a low cost. There's no downside. By the way, let's just say he starts the season 0 for 300. Just 
Just get rid of them. It doesn't cost you anything. It's okay. That's true. true. You know, and and, and Kreidler comes in and he hits 400 and he hits 20 home runs. And, you know, we're all okay. We're all okay here. But but to me, this is a move that it also kind of adds an underrated part of this, I think. No one's really talking about it. This is kind of a a savvy savvy veteran move too. This is a guy who's, you know, been been through it in the majors. He's played in big markets. He's, you know, changed teams. He's been through injury. On a team like this, I think that's actually kind of valuable too. So to sum up, I just feel like the reaction didn't need to be as negative as it was, in my opinion, because I do think he does help the team. And he pushes guys. Because now, yeah, now, what do we talk about? Sorry to interrupt, but what did we talk about last week? We talked about well, what happens if Parker can't hit? We all love Parker Meadows. What happens if he can't hit? What are you gonna do? What are all these options? Blah blah blah. blah. This makes a more seamless adjustment for AJ Hinch. If Parker, God forbid, really struggles, you put Veerling, you start playing him more in the outfield, and you have another infield option that you feel good about. Like this, actually, I don't want to say solves problems. But it gives you solutions to potential problems more. I don't know if enough people are kind of looking at it that way. Yeah, I think that can be hard for, uh, yeah, you know, there are a lot of people out there still kind of grasping this new world we live in, in which it's not nine starters and four bench players. It's 13 guys on the roster who are all going to be used a lot. The idea of Matt Veerling being able to play outfield, being able to move around is a big part of that. Um, I get not everyone loves it, but it's the world we are living in. And it's why signing like Gio Urshela makes the totality of the roster better. There are two moves this offseason that Scott Harris didn't have to make. And that's signing Shelby Miller and that's signing Gio Urshela. Scott could have said, ah, we're good in the bullpen. Instead, Wynn got one more veteran. He could have said, ah, we're good at third base. Wynn got a veteran guy. It's not Matt Chapman, but... It's a solid ball player, a guy who's been around. So two moves that could get you one or two extra wins throughout the course of the season, which just maybe will make a difference. I like it. I like it. That actually shows me a little bit of competitiveness in Scott Harris saying, hey, yeah, we're not just going to roll out whoever. Like, we do care about third base. We, you know, within reason, within the context of where we're at as an organization, but we want to make this roster better. And, and uh, this is certainly an example of it. So here we are. We will see what the next domino to fall is. Um, and here's the thing. When someone gets hurt, when there's an injury in this infield or in the outfield, you're going to be feeling in a lot better shape because then you can bring up the cry there or the J-Hen instead of bringing up the guy after that who maybe isn't even on the 40-man roster right now. Something that I think people need to keep in mind and i know geo is not an all-star and would it be a shock if he became one this year but this is the first time like frame this in perspective i'm 99.99 percent sure about this leave the little case i'm a little, a little off this is the first time since 2003 the tigers do not have a player on the team that was an all-star as a tiger wow think about that wow First, uh, they have a couple of former All-Stars, obviously, but the first time since 2003, they don't have a guy who represented the team at the All-Star game. That, like, that's over 20 years. So this is, a, this is a young and, to a certain extent, like unproven team adding relative known commodities like Geo at a position of, I don't want to say it was of need, because I think we all kind of accepted like it could this configuration at their base is manageable. But a place that you could have used some help, they got some help, and that's okay. And I actually think this is, is I like the way you phrase it. Scott Harris didn't have to do it, but he did, and you saw the reasons why if you watched those videos of him talking. And uh, in relation to that, you mentioned Chapman, so this basically ends the Chapman conversation for Detroit. I did kind of want to ask your thoughts, Cody, about the— Cody Bellinger. So obviously he agrees to a contract with the Cubs, three years, eighty million player options after one and two uh, in the contract. We joke about the one-year deal stuff. We joke about the team option stuff when it comes to Scott Harris. Do you think 
just like in general the principle of it is this kind of something that is this a, a lane that scott harris could go down right now or like or is it like maybe that's something like the team's like a year away from even kind of considering that type of deal where again he loses a little bit of power when you sign a player to that contract because presumably bellinger is going to opt out but he doesn't necessarily have to so do you think this is the kind of move that like scott is kind of in his bag right now that's a that's a tough question. I don't know the answer to it um, based on the deals we have seen him make so far as the Tigers president of baseball ops. You would think no, but as the organization transcends into a different phase, things can change. I think the Cubs were willing to sign this deal because there's pressure for them to contend and be competitive, and so that sometimes that means getting the giving the player a little leverage if you want that player. Same time, you know, it's only a three-year commitment where I'm sure Bellinger initially wanted a lot more. So next offseason could be telling when, in theory, if things go well this year, the Tigers could be going after some bigger fish in the market. That means you probably have to sacrifice some of your optionality. That means you have to make some multi-year commitments. That means, in certain cases, the players get some leverage. I don't see Scott Harris as a guy who would love giving anyone a seven-year deal. But if you want to get elite players, that's what you got to do. I don't see Scott Harris. I, if I were an executive, I wouldn't want to give anyone a player option because players are only exercising player options if they have a bad year. But if you want to sign guys, sometimes you got to give out player options. So a, a little bit too soon to tell. You hope that there is a day where we do learn more about how Scott will uh, will approach these things because that's actually a good thing for the organization to even be in on such conversations. Yeah, and I think we all grade Scott at like positively for the kinds of moves he makes as he shores up the organizational health. But as we've said before, there's an expiration date on that if you want to be a year-to-year contender. Like that, that, that's how the game operates. So he's unproven because he hasn't had to be, nor really should he have been, you know, up to this point in terms of making those kind of moves. But I did, I did. speaking of Scott, I did want to kind of ask, so he's it's his second spring training. He's he's holding court with the media. Uh, you know, he you, you joked, I think it was last week or the week before, about the Colt Keith signing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I knew, you know, that wasn't going to be popular with the, with, with the Riders because it was on a Sunday. It was championship weekend in the NFL, blah, 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 blah. Uh, observationally, how has Scott Harris been? Is he does he look more does he look more comfortable? I guess because again, like literally, up until this point, basically every move he made was a first time thing. So now that now that he at least has one year on his belt with everything attached to his name, like how how is he? How is Scott Harris these days? Yeah, that's a good question because you're you're onto something. I think he is more comfortable in his skin more comfortable in his job i guess that makes sense comes with experience right but just the general vibe about him i think he's uh he's a little more accessible he's been a little more personable he's been uh probably a little bit more forthright with some of his comments in the media i think i'm sure this is even more palpable behind the scenes you look at his deals he seems like he's working with some confidence feels good about where the organization is at um you know, he's walking around with the hat on looking like peak tech bro energy this week. So, but, uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, otherwise like, yeah, I think, I think he's settling into the job and, and so it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Yeah. And look, that's, if you're, if you're a fan, that's good to hear because like, I think sometimes Scott Harris over the past year, speaking just from my own observations, you could just tell that this was all new to him. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not. It's not a criticism. Yeah. But it was. It was just all new to him, and and that's okay. And if he's kind of growing into his own a little bit, that's kind of why you hire the guy to begin with, right? Is for him to kind of grow with the job, and and, and so I think that that's encouraging. Well, you you um, like this? I went on the uh, Fangraphs effectively wild pod, and Ben Lindbergh asked me. Are there any two more anonymous-looking executives than Scott Harris and Jeff Greenberg? You know, and I, I, I laughed. I was like, that's funny. I mean, part of that is just maybe because 
Um, you know, they haven't won. Like, if you really think about it, most baseball GMs just kind of normal looking guys other than like Chris Young, who's taller than everyone in the room. But it's like, no, if you saw Scott and, and Jeff at a bar or a restaurant, um, you know, they, they're just looking like any other dudes in their 30s other than like the quarters that get up. You, you would not know they were baseball executives. Yeah, and this goes for you in the media. This goes for uh, Mr. Illich and Scott. I give anybody credit that's going to sit on those uh, ball fields and in, uh, in the Florida sun wearing pants. I just give them credit. <laughs> just give them credit. Like that's uh, that's uh, I I I I'd be swimming in it. Just uh, just to let you know about that. Um, all right. Lastly, kind of wrap up this like geo portion of uh, of the podcast, Cody. We saw him hit a home run today. He he he's done kind of what you would think he would do in this portion of spring training. But Justin Henry Malloy mentioned him earlier. Are we now looking at him just like should we just accept he's on the outs? Should we just kind of of the opening day roster, which I will continue to emphasize, is not it's not the end all be all. It's all it's all great to sit stand there on the foul line for opening day, but it's not the end all be all. Uh, is there any way he can really, like, quote, make this team with the caveat that he will, I believe, have an impact on the team one way or another this yeah. season? But is it just kind of on the outs for him now? Should we kind of, like, put that in our minds? There's a good chance, um, you know, when I because he hit a home run today and, and had to rip the line drive. You know, I wrote about him in The Athletic, you know, so he's going to get a little bit hyped up after a good start to spring. But the reality is he was probably going to have to hit his way onto the roster already. And the signing of Gio Urshela makes any roster path really difficult to see pending injury. Uh, we talk, If he's not playing the infield, it's going to be tough to get him in the lineup. And he's not playing infield. It's a right-handed bat, but doesn't do great against lefties. So, like, doesn't really fit in, like, the A.J. Hinch, Scott Harris platoon model super well. You're not going to carry him just to DH because you want to DH other guys. And now it's now there's not yet. Like, I don't think they're going to boot off Andy Abanez or Zach McKinstry for Justin Henry Malloy. And even if they did, it still would just be tough to get him consistent at bats. They'll probably say like, oh, his defense, like, I'm not sure he's going to get a whole lot better at playing the outfield because he stays in Toledo. Yeah. There's still a part of me that's like, dude, if this guy can hit, maybe you just carry him and you just, you just figure it out. Like, screw all this platoon, let's be smart. Like, just carry a guy who can mesh. There's still a part of me that's like, eh. But I, there's just not room for him right now. Now, when a guy gets hurt, if Justin Henry has a good spring and is hitting the ball, he could be that first guy to get to get the call. He's still going to have to hit his way to earn that over a Kreidler or a Badoo or someone of that ilk. Um but we're going to see this guy at some point. Um, he, he is just kind of squeezed out with the configuration of the roster right now, which sucks. And, and you know, you post a 417 yeah. OBP in AAA all year. You know, I'm sure there's a part of the guy that's, well, what do I got to do? And really, the answer is that if you could play third base, it would probably be a different discussion. But you can't. Yeah, and there's actually been a little bit of i would say good commentary about jay hen and i want to credit uh jerry uh, i'm sorry if i mispronounce it mackleheem 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 sorry uh and craig monroe brought this up on the radio broadcast there's patience in the batter's box and aj Hinch talked about this and then you also part of dominating the strike zone is not just letting hittable pitches go by you for the sake yeah. of taking pitches yeah and so if you're looking for something for him to hone in on, him being Jay Hen, that is something. Because the criticism, we talked about this with the fan grass projection, the criticism is he's not going to be able to be as picky in the majors because he's going to be facing more strikes. So, if, you, like I said, if you're looking for something that, you know, will make him more solidified, that's the kind of thing you got to be looking at it because he can still judge the zone, but you got to be able to attack uh or maybe be a little bit more aggressive you don't have to be passive all the time the passive is the p word for for justin henry malloy is like don't be passive be selectively aggressive i think would be the yeah and when you get that mistake you get you gotta belt it because you're only gonna get so many in the bigs and it almost proved prophetic because someday he got two mistakes and, and he hit them both real hard 
one left the yard. And credit to him for it. <sighs> All right, so I, I wanted to that like kind of ask you, Cody, so, something that's kind of a twofer for me. Like, I enjoy the hell out of live BP content. It's entertaining. And it's the first instance you get to see these guys in that kind of environment, blah, blah, blah. Even if you guys are too far away for great video and, you know, the wind's howling and all this stuff. It's still still great. Still still love to watch it. But also, I'm not, like, trying to, like, draw grand conclusions from it. So I, I don't want to ask you about specific matchups, like how does Javier Baez look against X, and how is Casey Mize against Torrey, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I guess kind of can, can you kind of take us to when you're watching this and you're, you know, you're doing video or if you're taking notes or, like, what is the environment like when this is happening? Because some of the videos, it looks like kind of has the team's attention. Everyone's kind of watching so obviously, you know, we a lot of times we get videos from other beat writers and it's kind of like, this, you know, the same matchup. So kind of take us to like the environment and, and take us to like what what is live BP in, in this instance, in this camp with these guys? Well, first off, thank you for not drawing any grand conclusions. The longer I do this, the more I realize spring training doesn't matter and live BPs really don't matter. They can, you know, sometimes it's interesting, okay, but I'm not going to lie, I'm getting a little annoyed at some of you guys who are out there watching every video and being like, oh, I saw, you know, Mize is like tilting his glove at a different angle, like, it's like, this, come on, man, you saw two pitches on the live BP video, let's not make any sweeping conclusions, uh, kind of reminds me of like the football Twitter of guys who like clearly don't know that much, but they see a play and they're like, oh, look at this, you know, 21 package. It's like, okay, come on now. Uh, so we're getting there with live BPs. Okay. None of this, none of this matters. Every now and then you can pick up an interesting nugget. Um, the vibe it's, yeah, it's real glamorous. You, you stand around a baseball field, you stand outside a, uh, a fence and, and you watch some guys throw to each other. Um, that's really all it is. I mean, it, it is a very laid back atmosphere. Um, and sometimes, honestly, depending on the matchups, it gets more attention from the players who were, you know, on the side compared to the others. The players know what the groups are. Some of them were joking with AJ Hinch, you know, the other day, I think, uh, Mize, Manning and, and Wentz all through against like Riley and Twerk on the game field and, and the guys who were on the backfields were like, oh yeah, we're the walk-ons and those are the scholarship guys. Um, so there's some good banner, even, you know, that, I mean, the most enter- entertaining thing to do is watch Andrew Chafin throw a live BP, by the way, then you'll get some good commentary and you'll get some, some expletives coming out of his mouth and you'll just get some jokes um, you know, he's joking with Dylan Dingler and, and all sorts of stuff is hilarious, but you know, otherwise it's, it's really laid back. Some guys throw some pitches, they throw like 20 pitches. It's up, it's down. Um, at this point in spring, you don't see guys square, you know, square pitcher up very often. Javi Baez got a Kinemaeda pretty good, took him off the wall opposite field and, Andy Abanez, who is no, just, that's hobby worthy. That that's hobby, hobby worthy. That hobby. Yes. Andy Abanez, who is just killing it so far this spring, uh, hit a tank off Tyler Holton. So, you know, those are some of the little the little observations. It's fun. I've been taking less video this year, um, and I know that people like the video. I've been ta- not taking as much video because I'm trying to actually watch what's going on myself. So maybe I'm actually one of the sickos that I'm making fun of because I do, I do try to lock in and observe as much as I can in these sessions. All right, well, I guess I'm not asking for a scouting report of, of a Casey Mize. Yeah, we're not. Let's, let's not so it. far. Let's not and, and, and we'll see him in a spring training game, and we're not going to do scouting reports. But I, I do want to know how he feels. And you talk to him. You talk to, you know, you talk to the batters. You talk to AJ. And we started talking about you know, pitch sequencing and what he's working on and, you know, all this stuff. I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty. But how does how does Casey Mize feel, I guess, is what I'm more concerned and curious about because it's been almost two years. 
and I know he's done some work, and I know, you know, it's it it, it I'm oversimplifying here. Yeah. But I, I want to know how he feels. Does he does he, you know, especially going through this? If I had to guess, I think Casey Mize is smart enough and realistic enough to kind of also like I think he wants to get in a game, maybe like a spring training game and then a regular season game. I think he is sick of throwing bullpens, and he was throwing live VPs at Comerica at the end of last year. Like, I think he's like, all right, what more am I getting out of this? I mean, it's part of the process. He knows he has to do it. He seemed, like, encouraged after the last one. You know, he liked where his fastball was at. If you want the scouting report, that the carry was noticeable. Um, he's realistic. He's like, yeah, slider's still coming along. So he threw some good ones, so he felt good about that. He's been realistic in that the slider is kind of the last thing to come, which – Happens a lot for guys coming off Tommy John. But, you know, there wasn't a ton of emotional reaction from Casey one way or another, which leads me to think, like, I think this guy's going to be pretty amped up, you know, when he gets to pitch in the game setting. I think that's what he's really looking forward to. And it'll be a more accurate gauge of where he's at as well. All right, so let me let me power rank. I want you to power rank three things. Two of them have already happened, and one of them is shortly going to happen. So Casey Mize's first spring training outing in terms of attention, hype, uh, hyperbole afterward. So Casey Mize first outing will bring back our boy Jay Hen here with 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 the couple laces he had, and Colt Keith's you know opposite field double, which to bring in Jay Hen you know could have been a could have been a bases clearing, but it wasn't. Uh, so like which. Two things I know it's unfair. Two things that already happened. One that's about to happen. What will be the what will be the thing that will get the most rise out of, out of out of Tigers fandom there? Because uh, yeah, I'll be honest. If Casey Mize mows, it'll be fun. Seeing Justin do that was awesome. Colt Keith, uh, I'm a sucker for lefties that can hit Oppo. <laughs> so the fact that he kind of like squared that off, like I I I love seeing that. Yeah, I'm not saying it means something. I'm just saying I like seeing it. So like, yeah, no, I think I think Casey Mize will be one because there's there's going to be more for the people to talk about. And if he pitches well, it's like, oh my god, Mize is back. If he pitches poorly, oh my god, is he ever going to get it? If he pitches okay, it's still going to be like, well, you know that that three one slider he threw was really good. Um, and and so there's just going to be more to pick apart with a pitcher's outing, especially a guy who, um. You know, we haven't seen in a long time like Mize. Everyone's going to be looking, you know, what's he doing differently? How's he using the pitches? There's just more to talk about. I'm going to put Keith at number two because, you know, oh, he, he battled back. He worked the count full. He hit oppo. Like, you know, the savior is here. And Malloy, even though I think it was the most fun to watch because the guy hitting the tank, it was kind of like, all right, well, it was a it was a pitch right down the middle and he crushed it like he should. You know, yeah, he's being aggressive, which, which was talked about, but – there just wasn't as much to analyze with Jay Hinn. Now we'll see how much the hype grows for like Jay Hinn on the roster. Um, that might be, that might be the, you know, this year's like Parker Meadows and Nick Maton and like Andre, or last year, everyone wanted Andre Lipschitz on the roster. Now no one's even talking. Now no one even remembers that Andre Lipschitz exists, which kind of sucks because the guys, you know, played decent ball, uh, really done nothing but do that, you know, since he's been in the system. Sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I say this as like like self admitting my own like flaw, but I gotta tell you, like I guess credit to the Tigers social media team, you know some of the some of the just basic. I'm going to do a light curse here. Some of the, like, kind of basic-ass, like, fungo reps that I see Colt Keith do. All right. It looked better than what I was anticipating. <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean, like, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of, like, right. turning the double play. All right. Play Scouting and... report time. I got you. All right. I'm going to do it. Okay. And I, I like to scout some infielders. All right. Um, He's moving better than he was last year. Like, you can tell he's put some work in. He just looks better on his feet. I'd like to see his range tested, though. I don't. He still doesn't really move like a second baseman, so you can you can see some improvement in like the technique, the footwork, the mobility. I think he's really clunky around the bag, turning double plays. I think even like 
You can go look on his Instagram. He posted a slow motion video of him turning a double play. And it's like the hand transfer is really slow. And it looks super slow when it's in slow motion. So, you know, uh, those are some things he's going to get used to. I think he's even mentioned a little bit like, yeah, turning double plays from second base is a little bit of an adjustment. So, like, I'm not optimistic about his defense at second base by any means. But you can see, like, he looks better than he did last year just in terms of his comfortability playing and moving around on the field. Well, you know, at a certain point, like, I think part of the move is betting on the athlete overall. I know, like, you're, you're, you're it's well, the bat, and then you figure it out. I, I got you on this one, too, of... Karen. We're, we're going to hand it over to Jim Leland. All right, Jim Leland has this way of, like, boiling down this complicated conversation into something just really simple. And, you know, Jim Leland, you know, I think on, on um, what was it, Saturday, Friday or Saturday, he's like, if you can hit, no one's going to care about the defense. It can be Jeff Kitt. Jeff Kitt wasn't a good fielder, no one cared. That's basically Jim Leland's stance on Cole yeah, Keith. Facts. So I don't know if Cole Keith will hit like Jeff Kent. I mean, you can see where the comparison comes from. And if Cole Keith hits like Jeff Kent, we're not going to talk all that much about his defense. And then if, if he doesn't hit no, like Jeff gonna... Kent, then it becomes more of a problem. So Jim Leland laid it out there for us. There's not a whole lot more to elaborate on there. No, and I will say for... I always like as much as I can. I always like to contextualize things, and when it comes to like the the transfer, turning the double play, every single time that happens, good or bad, I'm going to think this is the what eighth time he's ever done this in a real game. Yeah, you know what I mean, like. Like, like that—that's that, a—that's a reality of of Colt Keith right now, and I think some people might roll their eyes at that and be like, "Well, he's a major leaguer; he needs to be able to do it." It's still like uh, every other person you're gonna watch do that has done that a million times, has done that thousands of times. He probably he hasn't done that much of his life, so like this is all kind of part of the Colt Keith experiment, if you will. I just want to keep that in mind. I'm not saying it's an excuse. I just, like, that's just going to be on my mind every single time. Because, like, that's not, if it, that's something that's a grown natural progression to be able to do that over and over. We think it's so simple, but, like, you got to be able to do it like that at this level. You know what I mean? Like, you just do. And it's on him to be able to make that transition. So I'm just going to keep that in mind. I also, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I'm also, like, thinking in my head is like man i might have to do some research about how many like lefty laden lineups the tigers will be facing uh guys that are gonna pull and you got torque and colt on that right side of the field you know like that's it's something worth consideration that's all i'm saying it's just something worth consideration there you know I, maybe Scott Harris should have just had all lefties as the uh, as the starting rotation to to counter. Right. That. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Uh, all right, You're making well, some interesting points let's... here, Kuhn. You only have one lefty starter. You could have weak left side of the infield or right side of the infield. Tigers might be very vulnerable to lefty lineups. It's a good point. Here's actually. the thing: everything everything affects everything. Shout out Mike Yersich. Everything affects everything. Uh, speaking of lefties, here, here's a good transition. Man, we talk about like taking things, contextualizing things, seeing the big picture with spring training, the live BPs and all that stuff. I don't know. Maybe this is going to make people upset. But like, if if you're the kind of person... That is going to go out there and make a huge deal about Javier Baez, like, you know, striking out, quote unquote, in a live BP or, oh, he he's hitting lefty. He's hitting lefty. Maybe he's a switch hitter. He looks better as a lefty than a right. Stop. Just stop. Find another hobby. Find another interest. 
don't talk to me about baseball that much anymore. Like, number one, the whole lefty thing is fun. Like, I, I it's day, like, whatever, spring training. Go out and, and, and swing the other side. It's it's fine. And apparently he's done it before. It's fine. Like, it's part of the whole, like, body chemistry thing. Whatever. Who cares? And then, like, oh, Javi's in midseason form. Stop. Stop. Or actually keep talking so I know not to take you very seriously. Actually keep keep saying this kind of thing. Like, it, talk about things uh, that have it, zero merit. It's just low-hanging that's gonna... It's That's all it is. Like, it's just low-hanging, get a rise out of people because it's Javi, Javier Baez. Yeah, maybe it know. worked. It worked on me. I got, it got, I got, you got a rise <laughs> out of me. It worked. I was like, like, stop. Like, I, like, like, I'm sorry. Like, what are we even doing here? What are we even doing here if we're going to, like, kind of make this the basis of our baseball opinions? Like, stop. You're kind of telling on yourself. If he would have hit a home run, would you have had the same reaction? No, you wouldn't have. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, okay. I, I, I'm going to take a, take a chill pill for a second. It'll be all right. It'll be but, all right. But, <laughs> but it, it's, it, overall, it. It has zero merit. It's it's fine. It, I'm not concerned about how he's doing these BPs. I'm not concerned about how he's going to do in these spring training games. I'm concerned about how he's how, how he did in the off season. His approach, how he's doing all these kind of little things that actually kind of play out itself over the course of a season. I'm not concerned about this, and I just got I I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I got suckered in. Maybe maybe it's like those people that complain about first take, but it's like you're still watching them. You know, like, you're kind of part of the problem. Maybe I'm part of the problem. I'll, I'll fully admit that. But I saw that stuff, and I was like, come on, man. Like, are we do are, are, are we are, are we serious here? Are we serious here? Like, it it just bothered me. And maybe it's yeah, because... Yeah, so, Kieran, I, sometimes I, I tell people, like, just get off Twitter for a little bit. And it sounds it sound like you just need to put the phone down, like, walk away from Twitter for five seconds or five minutes. It's, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. It's just fodder. It's the low-hanging fruit. Here's a video of Javi swinging and missing. Let's see how much we can overreact. Come on, man. Like life's life's too short for that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that is true. That is true. And I just, in any walk of life, I just get bothered by people that just kind of take like a kernel of truth and just take it a hundred <laughs> yards too far. I'm like. It's, it's kind of what social saying, media like, is. Great. It's kind of the whole concept. Yeah, of... yeah exactly, exactly. So, it, if you're gonna dump on Javi on Javier, do it when the games count, not in literally the least impactful thing, which is a live BP. And again, he did have that home run. Which uh, I think uh, my it was off my Edo, right? And he it was, was like, "Yeah, was the, if it was a real fence, game." Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Sorry. It was off the fence. It's like I wouldn't have thrown that pitch in a real game. So like that goes to show you like how these things uh how, how these things are operated. Well, actually, speaking of Maeda, uh, we haven't talked about him that much since spring training started. Uh, but there has been some some fodder about it being kind of like a new kind of like him and what goes into having a high profile Japanese player uh, like everything that kind of goes into that for a spring train. So what's the, my experience been like for you? So we've seen Jake Rogers talking about like, you know, trying to learn Japanese. That's fun. You know, I've seen people talk about like the, you know, the Japanese media following him around. Obviously he's got his interpreter who I think, or at least one person that I've seen on social media, uh, I don't know if it's an interpreter or, or someone else with him, left-handed catcher. You know, it's ca- you got a catcher's <laughs> glove, uh, a left-handed catcher's glove. You know, that's awesome to see. Uh, so the Maeda experience, the only player to date to sign uh, as a free agent to sign a multi-year contract in the Scott Harris era. So what's the, what's the Maeda experience like, uh, Cody? No, it's it's cool. I really like having Maeda around. It just brings a little bit of a different atmosphere to everything. It seems like all the players are kind of enjoying it. Get to, you know, joke about learning Japanese and eating the Japanese snacks. Kintaz's interpreter and a trainer. 
um, on staff that work with him closely. But uh, as AJ Hinch said, you know, he knows baseball English really well. Maeda's having fun with it too, though, you know, like which he made learning Japanese the quickest. And he's like, Jake, yeah, at this rate, you know, mountain visits will be in Japanese. And, and he seems, Kinta seems like he has a great personality, like really funny. Um, I like having the Japanese reporters around just to kind of get their, their perspective. I mean, it's, it's a reminder of how big these guys are internationally. Like everything Kinta Maeda does is a big story in his home country. You know, they, these reporters want every little detail about his bullpens and his live BPs. And, you know, they bounce around covering the, uh, the various Japanese players in MLB. They work really hard. They travel a lot. Um, so getting to know some of them, you know, some of them I've seen um, throughout the years. And it, it's always just a fun presence to have around. Like, I think right now, Mayid is adding a lot to the club. It adds a, a different culture, which is, which is always good. Like, it's, it's, it really is fun. So he's contributing to the vibes, what you're saying. Vibes, the vibes of the whole team singing Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy while they are in the showers to the point you can you can hear <laughs> it just standing in the clubhouse and and says, This is how you know it's a young team. And then Javier Baez walks by and just kind of rolls his eyes like a like a dad at the children, you know. It's kind it was kind of the most like most like mature. <laughs> it was just like Javi's just like, Yeah, these kids. It was it was funny. All right, that's great. Uh, let's go. Let's let's kind of keep on the pitching thing. Uh, I say this as kind of like tongue in cheek, but also like somewhat serious. Uh, does Matt Manning still exist? Ooh. Like I, I don't know if I've like read or seen really that much about Matt Manning, and, I, and to be honest, I don't really know what to make of that. It's just a reminder of how things change. Uh, even, you know, I guess sometimes I'm guilty of this from a media standpoint. Like one day you're a hot topic, the next day you're not. And Matt Manning's kind of fallen into that not category. Although the what is Matt Manning, what can he be conversation is still there to be had. It's probably part of it. Like I'm just trying to resist, you know, do, doing that a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, Matt's been kind of quiet i think he's you know i haven't really talked to him i think he talked to, to maybe one of the other writers and you know supposedly he's bringing kind of a different vibe and intensity to camp this year you know i watched his live uh bp session and it was like it was fine there wasn't a lot of coverage of it because there wasn't really a strong takeaway one way or another i didn't think another guy you know i think it'll be a bigger topic once he starts getting into games once we start getting a better feel for where he stands on the roster, like the latest roster projection I did, I was like, I'm starting to get the vibe that a lot of this is going to depend on how badly the Tigers want to keep Joey Wentz. And I know Joey Wentz is not a popular guy among the fans right now, but he is a lefty, he can touch 95. We've seen him have really good stuff in the past. He's out of options. So if you de if you don't take him on the team, you risk losing him, you're probably going to lose him. But if you want to keep Joey Wentz, it might be tough to do your your whole six starter thing. So if you do that, and again, if everyone's healthy, uh, someone's got to go to the minors. And it's got to be Casey Mize, Reese Olsen, or Matt Nanny. And out of those three, I'm like, I would think Matt's the most likely. So uh, that's going to be a topic here the next few weeks. Uh, Matt can, can silence those concerns if he comes out and pitches well, but if he struggles a little bit or even if he's up and down like typical matt manning um like i think he's playing for something to prove more than maybe even we thought just a couple of weeks ago yeah that that was gonna be the next thing is like you put out on the athletic and you read it if you're a subscriber of uh, another roster projection after the geo signing and yeah i don't want to spoil everything but the joey wentz thing is something that we've haven't talked at length about because like i'm kind of like waiting for something to happen to like you know like kind of go into uh and you know really kind of same for manning i will say this though you did put carrie carpenter as the dh uh i know this is all fluid and you know all this stuff you did have technically have him as a dh you ended up having riley green in right field we 
don't have any indication, correct me if I'm wrong here, about which corner they're likely to put Riley in. Yeah, then... I think the Tigers think Riley's best in right field, but he could play both depending on the ballpark. Some of it's they think Carpenter is more comfortable in right than left, so that may prevent them from uh, locking Riley in at right field. That's a little bit of a fluid conversation, too. These are just some of the things they're debating. And yeah, and so yeah, you have him as the DH, which that will be a that'll be an interesting thing to follow spring throughout the season in terms of like how, again I talked about this earlier. How is he going to prepare if he is a DH? And Marcana, like we know he's going to be in the lineup, but I, I think everything else, a lot of it is kind of like up for we'll see what happens, you know. But any other takeaways, grand takeaways from your second roster projection since we. uh we talked about your first one, and you kind of like waffled, at least in your mind, not necessarily in publication. Kind of waffled about like some of the bench stuff, and and in a way, I think we more or less have clarity. But how how do you feel about this uh, this projection right now? Uh, well, I left Miguel Diaz's name out of the bullpen conversation. That was a mistake. I feel really bad. Um, I've always thought he should get more of a shot. I think he is in the mix for competition. I don't feel strongly that Joey Wentz is going to make it and Matt Minning's not. Uh, There's more of a way of like outlining that scenario because I do think it's a distinct possibility. Yeah, but coming into camp, I was kind of just like, whatever. It's like, you know, if Joey Wentz throws poorly, they can just get rid of him. And if he really struggles this spring, I think that would probably happen. But you want to overreact to one little session? Joey Wentz's live BP looked pretty good. Uh, look better than Matt Manning's, in my opinion. Matt's wasn't bad. It was just like, yeah. Joey's was like, oh, okay, Joey. Um, and it was a reminder that this guy was a pretty well thought of prospect. He was a pretty high draft pick. Like he had a one something ERA in September of 2022 and dominated the Arizona Fall League. And was like, I know he was really, he was really, really bad. His fastball was one of the worst pitches in baseball. Negative 23 run value. It's like, eh. You sure you want to just cut this guy loose? And that's why I'm like, I could see them trying to keep Joey Wentz. But if you do that, like there's going to have to be a sacrifice made somewhere else. So um, I don't feel strongly about like predicting what's going to happen, uh, but that's something to keep an eye on going forward. It's 100% something that I could be moved off of, but like the general premise of risking losing the talent profile of a Joey Wentz is something that like I want to avoid. But if it happened, it's not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to come on the, the next podcast and be like, I can't believe they did this. Yeah. You know, like, but generally speaking, I just feel like lefty the talent profile like i don't necessarily want to give up on that but we'll see we'll see uh this is still very early we're in a weird spot cody where it's still very early but it's also like not that far away for you know uh you know opening day basically a month away and i know there's gonna be a lot of games a lot yeah, of practices the next month can stuff, start to but... drag a little bit everyone starts getting antsy for opening no, it... day it starts to feel long it, it, oh, it definitely will. It definitely will. But uh, a lot of good discussions today, Cody. Anything else you want to get into before we get out of here? Uh, well, we had the annual Lakeland barbecue this week. It's always a good time. Oh, I've, yes. got, I've got some awards to hand out. A nice participation award for Chris Illich. Chris Illich was out hanging around the common people for – he was there for like at least an hour. I was, I was kind of stunned. Uh, Chris showed up okay. to Lakeland. He did not speak with the media. That seems to be the new PR approach. Got some more good PR because players talked about like, oh yeah, he's buying us new showers and stuff. You know, which is good. As a reminder, this guy it does like spend on things that aren't just payroll. Like he's putting a lot of money into the product. You know, I don't know that it really changes anyone's feelings, but I thought it was it was good to see him uh, hanging around the common folk at the barbecue. It's more good than bad. Yes, it's more good than bad. Uh, yeah. The the uh, Ron Garden hire Miguel Cabrera Lakeland Barbecue Turnip Award goes to Andrew Chafin. You ever just like someone doing exactly what you think they will do? 
First time I saw Andrew Chapin, he had a tall boy in his hand. Second time I saw Andrew Chapin, he had two like normal size cans stacked atop each other in his hand at the same time. I was like, this guy's living life. You honestly would think he was just one of the like Lakeland residents there for fun, you know. <laughs> It's a guy after my heart. Yes. So Chafin is amazing. <laughs> uh, Chris Illich had fun. Uh, AJ Hinch seems to like skip out on the barbecue. I think I saw him for like a split second. I don't think I saw him at all last year. Come on, man. You got you to go to the Lakeland barbecue. AJ, bro, I know you love barbecue. I know you love having a good time. It's okay, man. People can see it. It's all right. No, no it's not going to hurt anybody. You know what? In June, when the Tigers are in Texas, AJ, come over. I'll, I'll I'll have barbecue with you. There'll be no cameras. There'll be no. I'll I'll, I'll make. I'll I'll cook for you, brother. I'll I'll cook for you. There'll be no cameras, no social media, no judgment. But I I want you to have a good time, man. So that's an open invite to AJ Hinch, uh, friend of the podcast, AJ Hinch. Uh, all right, yeah, this was a lot of fun, Cody. Uh, it's a little late on a, on a Sunday night. Had some travels, had some technical issues that we overcame. But I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate everybody for listening. Everybody who follows on X, at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, at Turn Corner Pod, pod pass, p- podcast page on YouTube, Turn the Corner Podcast, and five-star review if you if you feel so inclined. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great day.